Welcome to the Stellar Labs podcast, Future Learning Today. At Stellar Labs, our mission is to bust the technology skills crunch with effective, measurable, engaging training. We consult on, design, and deliver the technical and people skills and competencies you need in business. In these podcasts, you'll hear from industry experts and practitioners from the worlds of technology and training. They'll share their experience, insights, and inspiration, and their visions for the future with you. Keep listening to start your future learning here today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Stellar Labs podcast. Today, I'm talking to Amanda Nolan of Niles Nolan, and they're specialists on advising large organizations on digital transformation and learning strategy. Amanda, welcome. Hi, Stella. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And Amanda, just tell us a little bit about what you do at Niles Nolan. Well, as you said, we advise global organizations that are trying to uh, do learning differently to be more impactful. And typically that has a digital transformation component to it. And and we've met online very much. In fact, we only met for the first time, I think, in, in January at Learning Tech. But we've had lots and lots of conversations online. Um, You're currently locked down in Spain and I'm locked down in Belgium. Yes, unfortunately. um, And, and, you know, we're all we're all facing similar challenges at the moment. But I think um, what I'm really interested to know, Amanda, is is what's what's kind of really on your mind right now? What's important to you right now? Okay, well, honestly, before COVID hit, you know, the pace of change was already exponential in the world uh, and the half-life of skills was shrinking really fast. And now this whole coronavirus thing has just accelerated accelerated that beyond belief, right? And I guess what keeps me up at night is I don't feel that L&D leaders are responding um, in the right way. They're not thinking about business strategy or how their learning strategy aligns to that. And as a result, it's going to lead to more redundancies and organizations that won't survive if they don't change the way they work. Okay, so that sounds like quite a, a serious message for, for people in L&D, the senior, the senior people. So what do you think they're doing now that, that they shouldn't be doing? And perhaps what, what ought they to do? So what, what I've heard and what I've seen, um, there's been a few studies that have been put out recently as well. What they say is that most learning leaders are rushing to convert their face-to-face courses into online and digital training as fast as possible. Um, many times that's leadership development courses, which is also a concern for me because honestly, if those leaders aren't leading already right now, I don't know if now is the time to be diverting all of our, our resources to try to scramble and get them online. Um, what we also see is lots of you know courses on COVID and remote working, which in my mind is the last thing that leaders should be investing in right now. First of all, a COVID course, it's out of date by the time you build it. Um, you know, how to work remotely. Honestly, do, do people need to take a course to do that? I think it would be much better just to show them how to use the tools that they're already using, maybe like Microsoft Teams, for example. Um, but most importantly, really thinking about what is the plan for reskilling and upskilling people so they will be developing the skills that the organi- organization will need to stay relevant and keep their jobs in the, in the process. So really looking more, less away from the leadership development that 
you know, there's a lot of investment in that. Big companies spend a lot of money on on leadership. And, and in my experience, a lot of them end up saying, well, we're not really sure what we got out of it. You're suggesting Precisely. you work almost at the opposite end of the, the spectrum and give people the skills they need to actually do their jobs. Absolutely. And across the board in all the different industries and countries where we work around the world, we see this over and over again. There's a disproportionate amount of money spent in leadership training with no real demonstrable ROI. And honestly, it, it, it just drives me insane. Um, there was a, a, study, a study put out by uh, Harvard called the Great Training Robbery. Um, if you listeners want to Google that, that shows, you know, that there is... Mm, it's a huge waste in most cases. Um, and it's you know a smaller group at the top of the pyramid of executives that typically get sent to the spa for a week and they have a great time and they get to network. But is that really developing our leaders? And this is quite controversial because leadership training has its advocates, but um, we truly believe that it's most of the time it's a waste. And I think a lot of the skills that you need to be a really good leader are probably skills that you should be learning much earlier in your career. So by the time you get to be a leader, they are really, really honed. Precisely. And a lot of the you know soft skills uh, I would include there, things like communication skills and empathy. But, you know, speaking of that empathy, um, leadership training, a lot of times... I, I, I think it's a band-aid for a culture problem. So if you have a bunch of jerks, will any amount of leadership development make them good people? Um, you know, is it something, do you have a rotten culture as a, as a company? Those are questions that I think a lot of organizations are afraid to ask. Yeah, and I think that happens a lot, isn't it? That people sort of see, see some behavior they don't like the look of and they say, right, let's throw some training at it. But actually, it comes from somewhere much more fundamentally deeper in the organization. Exactly. I'm interested in you talking about um, people throwing everything online as, as fast as possible. We've just made a decision to put some of what we're doing online, but we we really looked hard at some of our programs and said, we don't think those can go online. There's too much complexity within them and there's too much requirement for um partly to have that kind of physical presence of somebody actually reassuring you. And I know that sounds a little bit strange, but the, the, so the, the combination of elements has made us decide that it's, it's not a sensible program to put online. So it's a, a very in-depth cybersecurity program. Whereas the other things I think we can do online, I think they'll, they'll work just as well online as, as face-to-face. So are there things that you think can go online and can't go online or what are your views on that? Honestly, I think um, with the right technology and the right learning experience design, right, just about anything can be done virtually and digitally. Um, however, what really bothers me is seeing bad content, bad training to begin with, is now there's a rush to convert it to digital, right? So if the, if the content wasn't relevant and it wasn't good to begin with and it wasn't designed well, it's not going to be good digitally or virtually either. And I totally agree with that. <laughs> you definitely can't make um, a, pig, a sow's purse out of a pig's ear or whatever the phrase is. Yeah, no, and face-to-face might still be ideal in some, in some uh, you know, cases, but right now that's just not an option. So if there's a, tr- a critical uh, skills gap that needs to be uh, closed, I think we need to use the technology available to us to try to do our best virtually and digitally. But it's not about, you know, spending too much time or effort into the, you know, design or over architecturing it. It's more about thinking about, you know, what is the gap, making it relevant for people and, you know, just getting it out there. 
And I think I think there are some things where you you kind of need the experience. Um, I had an interesting conversation with somebody the other day. We were talking about how you know the current crisis is an experience for many people. They've not done online before, and now they're doing online. They're spending all their meetings online rather than face to face. They're not traveling as much. So you know that their experience has changed. One of the things I'm rather interested in is whether that that experience will turn into long term learning. Mm-hmm. or whether it'll merely be an experience that they had and they can look back on, but they may never actually turn that into change behaviours, change attitudes, or even change skills. Yeah, absolutely. I think, honestly, right now, a lot of people are experimenting with uh, remote working for the first time, with digital and online learning for the first time. It's an opportunity, but there's also a danger there. The, the opportunity is, well, if that's a good experience and people realize, oh, I can do a lot of stuff from home, um, I can be just as productive, uh, maybe they'll continue to do it after COVID. But let's be honest, most of us are dealing with managing you know, children at home or maybe concerned about our, our health or other people's health, making sure we have the refrigerator stocked. It's not normal times, right? And when it comes, so it's not fair to compare is what I'm saying. And in terms of online learning, my fear is, honestly, if people's first experience with online learning is a bad e-learning module with an avatar and a clipboard, that's not going to be a good experience. And they'll want to go back to their face-to-face training. And, and you know, I'm a huge advocate of, of, of blended training. I think face-to-face has a huge um, importance that is quite hard to quantify in some ways. I heard somebody talking the other day about uh, the the cognitive dissonance we get when we're mm-hmm. when we're working on video because our, our kind of conscious brain is saying yes I'm having a, con- um, a sensible conversation with a real person but our con- our unconscious brain is saying there's nobody else there you know I can't smell them I can't touch them they're flat they're not real mm-hmm. um, and this is apparently causing us to be quite tired so I can imagine that you know with a lot of online learning people can't do what they can do within a face-to-face context where our bodies have been evolved and our brains have been evolved to deal with that real context. Yeah, well, you're the brain lady, honestly. I I think I saw the same article in the BBC it was, um, and I would love to know if there's real science behind that, if it's true that we're getting Zoom fatigue, as as they say, um, or not. I I approached the person who wrote the article the other day to ask them what their difference was. So, well, I'll keep you posted on that one. (laughs) Good. That's that's a good subject for another podcast, I think. But in the meantime, a lot to talk about Zoom fatigue, but really... Are we just having really ineffective meetings virtually, (laughs) just like we had ineffective and unproductive meetings face to face before? Yeah. And the same goes for learning, right? Absolutely. Yes. You You can't turn what was poor before into something better because it's online. And you can't blame it on the technology either. <laughs> Absolutely not. So, so what's your vision for, for the future, for, for keeping people employed, for upskilling them? And, you know, hopefully change won't accelerate quite as rapidly as it has over the last few months. But I guess change is going to keep being very fast and incrementally quick. Wow, I wish I had a magic wand or a crystal ball, and I and I knew the answer. I think it's a, a going to be a combination of things, right? It's it, it, the skills are are really at the cornerstone of that. Probably, it it involves aligning business strategy with learning strategy, and also having a plan for developing the skills that an organization is going to need to stay competitive, and then giving individuals the access and enabling them to develop those skills. But within organizations, 
it's also going to require more mobility. So internal talent marketplaces, I think we'll, we'll, we'll start to see more and more of those, or at least I hope we will. And then from company to company too. So we're looking now because of COVID, there's been some interesting initiatives, reskilling, for example, Sana Labs um, is working on a project to reskill flight attendants to be hospital workers, right? So you have a whole industry that right now has been shut down, air travel, um, but uh, a, an increased demand for hospital workers. And it turns out that flight attendants already know quite a bit about dealing with emergencies, you know, CPR, that kind of thing, um, dealing with the public that are stressed out, and they make great candidates for that reskilling initiative. So I really hope we see more of that. That's a really, really interesting concept, isn't it? That we need to learn skills that are, and, and behaviors that are very transferable. Right. And another thing I would point out, and this is a hard one to put our finger on and how do you develop this, um, but it's learnability, right? So as people, how can we develop that learning muscle, if you will, and that curiosity so that we're always looking to develop new skills and evolve and stay relevant? So you've just spoken to my heart there, Amanda, (laughs) (laughs) because for me, um, you know, the skill of learning successfully and effectively is just one of the skills. If you get that skill right, all the other ones become so much easier to learn. And yet yes. it's one that is not is not taught at school. Um, I can remember my children the week before their GCSEs were given a learn to learn course. And yeah. they both said, why do we have that now? Yeah, you know, and we should have had it probably in primary school, let alone in senior school. And what I wonder, um, and maybe you know the answer to this question, but it's the nature nurture question: Is curiosity, learnability, are those things that we're born with, or can they be developed? I, uh, learnability, and if by that you mean the ability to learn better, can definitely be developed, and that's mm-hmm. one of the programs that we're actually currently running. Um, and I totally know that can be developed, and I've worked with people in the past who, you know said they have considerably improved their ability to learn new things with with just some fairly simple insights very mm-hmm. often and being more conscious about it. We you know we're, we're not very conscious about how we learn because we kind of think we do it naturally. We think it's nature, but actually there's a lot of nurture in there. Mm. Yeah, I guess what I'm thinking about for me, learnability also includes curiosity, right? You have to be curious to grow in new directions or have some motivation there. Um, maybe th- that's not how you define it, but I'm wondering if that that part is something you can teach people. For me, the curiosity is, is the very first piece of learning. If, if you get yeah. curious people, they will learn, whether they learn really, really well or really well, really badly, mm-hmm. they will they will want to learn. They are keen to learn. Right. So you can then teach them additional skills after that. Curiosity, I think some people are highly curious by nature, and that's probably a blend of nature and nurture. Yeah. But I think that's part of um, organisational and learning uh, people's role is to help make people curious, you know, give them the need, give them the um, inclination to want to explore, give them the requirement to want to explore. So rather than sending them on training courses, which still happens, you know, just give a problem to solve. And by trying to solve the problem, they'll get, as long as it's relevant to them, um, they will become curious about, well, how do I solve this problem? You know, in our daily lives, we're often curious about things. If Google wouldn't exist if we weren't curious. 
Yeah. No, that, that's a really good point. I know I was born, my mother said the first word out of my mouth was why, and I haven't stopped asking since, you know, and so I'm definitely, I think, curious by nature. But maybe if some of that is something we're born with, right, there, maybe if organize, organizations are at least more clear about where they're going and, you know, they communicate to their employees what's in it for them, why is it important for you, for you to learn this, at least that way they might have more success in motivating people. And also, Amanda, potentially your mother dealt with your curiosity well and therefore, you know, you got um, a reward from that curiosity. So when naturally, when we're curious, we get a dopamine release, which, as we know, is is rewarding. Hmm. And if at the same time you get your you get your curiosity answered, and somebody says, "Wow, that was a great question," or "Why don't we go and explore this together?" Then that also builds on that you know that desire for you the next time to to be more curious. If instead, when you were continuously asking why as a small child, your mother said, "You know, shut up, don't ask stupid questions." you might stop asking questions. <laughs> That's funny. I definitely recall my mother just telling me because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she's not listening to this podcast. but And I'm quite sure she probably occasionally said that, but probably most of the time she indulged you in, in helping you find the answers to your questions. I suspect she did. Because actually I had exactly the same. My mother was, I was constantly asking why and she would always be saying. Well, one thing my mother did do is she took me to the library just about every day. So I'll give her okay. that. That's satisfying your curiosity. So so I think, I think curiosity, probably some people are born slightly more curious, but then mm-hmm. I think how the world treats them has an impact on how curious they then right. remain. And I guess organizations have a role in that. You know, if you're curious and you're exploring and you're coming up with creative ideas and the organization says, great, let's run with that, mm-hmm. you're likely to want to do it again. Yeah. And, and I especially think, if you're supported in learning from doing it. Right. And I think with organizations, the problem is that curiosity is not really endorsed in most cases. Um, you know, asking questions sometimes means asking uncomfortable questions or thinking outside the box or beyond your remit, you know. Yeah. And most companies that that I know don't encourage that kind of behavior, really, when it comes down to it. It's just lip service. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like we want people to be creative, but we don't want them to do anything different. Yes. Or don't, you know, don't don't do anything that's beyond the, your job description. Right. Just yeah. keep your your nose down. So let's let's not diss all organizations because there are lots of them doing great jobs out there. Yes. So for the long term, then we think we need people to be more curious. We want to encourage that. Um, and, and you're talking about upskilling perhaps more at the um, perhaps the grassroots level and the sort of the the ground level as opposed to spending and investing a lot in leadership. Yes, I, I think that it's time to stop spending so much money on leadership development and thinking about and think about the um, the broader workforce. Definitely. I've really enjoyed the conversation, Amanda. Is there anything else you'd like to, to share with us before we before we finish? Not really, but it's been a great chat. I've enjoyed it as well. It's been really interesting and um, I look forward to talking to you again and good luck. Thank you. Likewise, Stella. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please share it with your friends and colleagues and visit our website, stellalabs.eu, to learn more about what we do and how we do it. Tune into the next episode.